following message is recorded at City Light Church in Vicksburg, Mississippi. City Light Church exists to shine the light of Christ in our city and world through the transformed lives of His people. For more information on the church and its ministries, please visit www.citylightvicksburg.org. This morning comes from John chapter 14. And these are God's words. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Yet a little while, And the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it? that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world. Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you if you love me. You would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. And I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. How's everybody doing this morning? Amen. Amen. I want to continue this uh, discussion that we've been working through uh, since last week about God's promises towards us, uh, Jesus's promises towards us as he uh, prepares to leave this world, as he prepares to leave this earth. Um, He shared last week, um, or we talked about the, the, the chief promise that he shared last week, which is the promise of heaven. The promise of the life to come, the promise of, the, uh, of being where he is, being in, in a place where God is. Because we talked about last week that heaven is, is oftentimes nullified because we talk about heaven, but we never include God when we talk about it. We talk about heaven and we talk about all the people that we're going to meet in heaven. And we talk about heaven and we talk about all the wonderful gifts or all the wonderful property that's in heaven. And we say, man, we're going to have big mansions in heaven. And man, we're going to have a lot of gold and the streets are going to be paved with gold. And we talk about everything else but the, but the highlight of heaven, which is God, Right? So we, and so, we, so we discussed the reality that the, that the disciples weren't troubled. When, when we read verse 1 of this text, of, of this chapter, it says, let not your heart be troubled. The disciples weren't troubled because, because of we don't have enough 
money or we don't have cars or we don't have houses or we don't have gold or we don't have mansions, the disciples were troubled because Jesus was telling them that he was about to leave them and they could not go where he was going. That's what troubled the disciples. And so Jesus, seeking to encourage, seeking to lift, seeking to edify his friends, shares with them the picture and the beauty of heaven. He tells them the most important thing about heaven is that I'll be there and that there is space for you in my father's house. There is room for you in my father's house so that where I am, there you may be also. That, that was the most important words in all of the chapter is that wherever Jesus is, I can go. That's what was important. And so, and so that was a promise. The promise was that, yes, this life is crazy, and, and there's, there's a lot of highs and a lot of lows and a lot of roller coasters and a lot of peaks and a lot of valleys. There's a lot of things that we go through, right, in this life. And there's reasons oftentimes for us to be legitimately troubled in our hearts. But God says, Jesus says, that I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. And so that is one promise that we can count on. One major promise that we can count on. Now, here's a second major promise that we can count on this morning. is the promise of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus promises us that, yes, I am leaving, but I'm leaving so that, so that I can go prepare a place so that when this is all said and done, you'll have a place that's with me and a place that gives you no more trouble, no more grief, no more sorrow. But the question is, what do we do, Jesus, while you're gone? How do we survive while you're absent? And this is where the second promise, the second major promise of this text comes in. Because Jesus says that he's going to leave someone behind with us. And sometimes that person is very much ignored and very much not even counted in the triune God, in the Trinity. We oftentimes talk about the Father. We oftentimes talk about the Son. But we speak very little of the Spirit. And the Spirit is the one which we will uncover this morning. The Spirit is the one who is keeping us in this life. Until we get to heaven, he's the one who's keeping us. And so he is vital. He is important. He's worthy of our discussion. But before we can understand the contents of this second promise, Jesus takes a moment to state who this promise is established for. He begins in verse, in verse 15 of this chapter by saying, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you think about our first promise that, that we talked about last week, the promise of heaven, Jesus had a a a statement to help us understand that this promise was an exclusive promise. He said in John chapter 13 and talking to Peter that, that Simon Peter, uh, chapter 13, verse 36, when Simon Peter asked Jesus, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going. You cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterwards. Now, that's different. We talked about this last week. That's different from what he told the unbelievers. What he told his followers was, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me later. What he told the unbelievers in John chapter 8 was this, the same thing. I am going away, you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. And so not only can they not come to where he is going, but he tells them that they will die in their sin. And so he assures those who are following him with the words, let not your hearts be troubled. He assures them 
that, that, that they, they're not going to be left behind in this crazy, sinful world that is ultimately descending into the eternal judgment and wrath of God. They're not going to be left behind. They can and will be rescued, but only through him. Even though he is leaving them and even though he is um, preparing a home for them, he says, listen, I'm coming back and I'm taking you with me and that there is a place for you. Now, on the other hand, those that reject him, their hearts should be troubled. Because he is leaving and the world is tough. And the world is on a rapid descent towards the eternal judgment and wrath of God. And they cannot go where he is going. And there is no place of peace and sorrow being prepared for them. Meaning that the full burden and the full weight of our sin, the full punishment for the crime of high treason against God. And you say, what is, how is it high treason? Because God created us to worship him exclusively and we have chosen other ways. We've chosen other paths. We have betrayed him. And so the full punishment for that high treason will be poured out if we don't accept the offering in which he has provided in our place, which is Jesus Christ. Those people, the unbelievers, will hear the words of Matthew 7. It says, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of God, but only those that do the will of God. Many in that day will say, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out devils in your name, and do mighty works in your name, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Your heart should be troubled without trust in Christ. And now as we move back to chapter 14, verse 15, we see Jesus taking a moment to establish again the exclusivity of his promises with the words, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 15. There's a connection to the promise. Promise isn't just anybody who wants to take part in it, right? Anybody who wants to go to heaven can go. No, anybody who trusts Jesus Christ with their lives have a place in heaven. And, and anybody, who, anybody who wants the Spirit can have it. No, no, those who love me will keep my commandments. He's setting a stage before he gives us the promise. And he's saying it's only those who are in him, who are trusting in him, who are walking in love for him that have room to receive the promise of the Spirit. There is a connection to our love. And that connection is obedience. Obedience is not much a, obedience is not a condition. Obedience is an attribute of our love. Obedience is not a condition. Obedience is an attribute. In other words, in other words, you don't obey to love God. You obey because you love God. That's important. That's important. Are you tracking with that? Some people think that they're trying to love God and get to a place that they can show God their love by or, or, or earn God's love by being obedient. God is already giving you his love through his son. What you are now doing is you are walking in the love of God through your obedience. It's an attribute of your love. Does that make sense? Obedience and love have a well-defined working relationship, and we see it all throughout this chapter. We see it in verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. 
And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. This is an attribute. This is an attribute of people that love God. People that love God choose to obey God and keep God's word. Verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. These commandments are the same as they have always been. Keep the commandments. What are the commandments? The commandments are to walk in step with the gospel of Jesus Christ, to live life both loving God and loving neighbor along the way, in word and in deed. These are keeping the commandments, and keeping the commandments reflect our love for God. If we don't love God, then we simply won't obey God. But if we do love God, then out of the abundance of that love will come obedience. John highlights this in other places as well, not just in this gospel that he, that he penned for us by the Holy Spirit, but also in one of his letters to the churches. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And he continues by saying, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. That's important. Take note that he says that the commandments aren't overwhelming. And you say, well, are you sure about that, John? Because they seem to be overwhelming oftentimes. But what John highlights is he says, everyone who has been born of God has overcome the world, the indwelling power of God, in other words, given to the children of God, is what aids us in lovingly obeying God. Our obedience flows out of that new birth, which is why it's so difficult for us to start when you're talking to the unbeliever to start with stop doing. You start with Jesus. You start with gospel. Repentance comes as a result of the new birth happening. Once a person sees Christ and their eyes are open to the beauty of Jesus and their spirit is awakened by God, then comes the power. You get the power to stop with the spirit and nothing else. And it is these people, these people born by the spirit, these people that have been given the power to overcome the world, that the verses that are in John chapter 14 apply to. John chapter 14, again, talking about verse 15. As you move out of verse 15 into verse 16, you notice that these band of promises that we can take confidence in because of our relationship in Christ, they highlight two particular things. The first thing that they highlight is that there is a promise of another helper. And the second thing that they highlight is that there is a promise of a resurrection. And both of those promises are directly tied to the Spirit, the third person in the Trinity. The promise of the Spirit is a promise of another helper. And I will ask the Father, verse 16, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. There's a few things that we need to ponder about just what we, just what we read there. The first thing that we need to ponder is that the triune God 
is uh, that there's a, rather, there's a triune nature in the spirit being sent out by God. There's a triune nature. Notice the three-pronged action that we just read. Jesus asks the Father to send the Spirit. The Father sends the Spirit. The Spirit comes into the world in the, and dwells in those who trust and love God. That's three-pronged. That's three in one. We, have, we talked about in our missional community on Wednesday night that sometimes we want to try to, that, that, the, that the era in, in, some, in some traditions throughout the history is that they, because they hear that God is one, they don't understand that there is uniqueness within God in the three in the, in the triune trinity or the trinity of God. And so they say, well, God is one. So that means Jesus is the Father, and the Father is Jesus, and the Spirit is Jesus, and the Spirit is the Father. But 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 they are one, and yet they are distinct in their roles and in their functions. And so you see this. You see Jesus saying that I have asked the Father to send, and that the Father is sending, and that the Spirit is the one who is being sent on behalf of us. Again, we see it in verse 25. Look there. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you, bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Again, you see it. The Father will send on the Son's behalf. The Son will request from the Father that the Spirit be sent, and the Spirit will come and teach and cause us to remember. Now, the second thought to ponder is the helping mission of the Spirit. It says that he's a helper, a paracletes. He is a, he is a one who has come. The, there, there's many, there's many defi- definitions for this, for this word in the Greek, this paracletes in the, in the Greek. Some call it counselor. Some call it uh, comforter. But helper is a really, really, really good term for this. Twice in this passage, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as a helper. This language is supposed to help us picture the Spirit as one that gives us strength and one that encourages us in our faith, in our walk with Christ. The Spirit aids us in this broken world. He helps us in this broken world. This world is hard. And so he sends the Spirit not leaving you alone, but sends the Spirit to help and to aid and to strengthen you and encourage you when you're weary. The Apostle Paul, one of the great missionaries and church planners in the history of Christianity, wrote to the Romans in the, in the book of Romans, uh, the book of Romans in the New Testament. He wrote to them about the, the helping nature of the Spirit in Romans chapter 8. First, he started by talking about heaven, the same way that we're looking at this in John chapter 14. He started by talking about, as he, as he pondered the sufferings that the Christians were going through, he said, he talked about two things. Romans chapter 8, he said, I, I reckon that the present sufferings of this world cannot compare to the glory which shall be revealed. That's a discussion about heaven, right? Right? Just like Jesus. So he's telling them, don't be troubled by the sufferings of this world because it can't compare to what's coming. But then he moves to this. He moves to this in verse 26 of chapter 8. He says, likewise, still talking about how we deal with the sufferings and the hardship of this world, how we, how we reckon with everything that's going on in our lives, bills and children and relationships and, and sickness. How do we reckon with these things? How do we wrestle with these things? Verse 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness when we grow weak and weary and beat down and battered. 
by the storms of life. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, listen, listen, listen to me. Listen to me. This is not tongues. This has been told, you've been told that this is tongues. But this is not tongues. This is not speaking in tongues. This is not speaking and praying in other languages. I want, and I want, you to, I want you to pay attention to one thing that's in this text. We do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The King James Version renders that too deep for utterance. When the language, when the, when, 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 when the language of the Spirit, when, when other tongues and was given to the church in, in Acts chapter 2, the Bible says that the Spirit came down and that men and women began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. In other words, as the Spirit audibilized their words, they began to speak in languages that they had never heard before. This is not that. Because what he's saying, Paul is saying, is that there are times where any believer is too weak. Any believer has been battered down, beaten down, and that they're on their knees and they don't even know what to pray for right now. I don't even know where to start. This kid is so rebellious and crazy, I, I don't know where to go. I think they're on their way to jail. I don't know where to go. I, I don't know where to go. I don't know how to pray. This illness that I have, I don't know what to pray about. I mean, Lord, heal me, but I, I don't, I mean, I'm at my wit's end. I've tried everything. I don't even know what you want out of me in this. Are you teaching me something in this? I don't, I don't even know. The Bible says that the Spirit does. And so the Spirit in your weakness prays on your behalf the perfect will of God in a manner that is too deep, listen, too deep to be audibilized, too deep to be, to be sonically heard. He is praying below the natural sound. He is praying in such a way that it moves beyond our comprehension and beyond our understanding. This is, this is way better than tongues. This is way better than tongues, what we're talking about. This is, this is something that is happening for every single one of us, not just those that are gifted with the language or gifted with special languages. This is something that is happening for every single believer that has been given the Spirit of God. This is what the Spirit does for you and for me. Consider also in regards to this helping function that Jesus calls him another helper. He's not the first. Who is the first? Anybody know? Jesus. Jesus. So, so Jesus was a helper on earth. He says, now that I'm preparing to leave, I know you're wondering, well, how are we going to make it without him? He says, I'm sending somebody, I'm sending somebody that's going to that's gonna take my place. He's going to be the next helper for you. And, 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 and he, Jesus, when he walked this earth, he strengthened the disciples. He encouraged the disciples. He, he built them up as they, as they pursued uh, walking in the truth of the gospel. 
He built them up as they pursued and, 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 and tried to walk in their commitment to love God and love neighbor. He built them up as they pursued the ability to perform the works of Christ, that, the, the works that Christ had called them to perform. Now he's preparing to leave, and he says, don't be discouraged. I'm not leaving you alone. I'm sending you another helper to strengthen and encourage you like I did when I was here in the flesh. And guess what? This helper will not leave you. He doesn't have to go back and prepare a place. This helper, Jesus says, will be with you forever. But not only will he not leave you and not only will he be with you forever, but he will actually reside in you. So now you understand why Jesus says, hey, it's good for you that I leave. He says that on several occasions. It is good for you that I leave because if I leave, then the helper comes. The one, the one that's going to do what I did for you while I was here, but not only is he going to be with you, he's going to be in you. And not only is he going to be in you for a temporary time, no, 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 he's going to be with you forever and in you forever. As the highs and the lows and the peaks and the valleys and the trials and tribulations of life come along, he will be in you to strengthen you and encourage you and to keep you all the way to the end. He's not going anywhere. He's not going anywhere. Verse 17 says, Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. He is in you to empower you to live life engaged in the truth of the gospel. He brings clarity to the gospel. He brings clarity to the gospel. Says, Jesus said of this spirit that, that he will teach you all things and bring remembrance and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, the idea here is that he is speaking to the first disciples in this moment. And what he's saying to them is that, you know, there was times, if you've, read, if you've read through the scriptures before, and if you haven't, I'll explain. There was times where Jesus would say something, and the disciples would be like, huh? What does that mean? And, and, they, and they would constantly do that. He would say something. Who's it? What's he talking about? You know, um, they, Jesus would say, hey, I have food that, you know, I have food that no man can give. I have, I, uh, my will is to do the, uh, or rather he would say, you know, they would say, hey, Jesus, you're hungry. And he would say, no, I'm not hungry. Um, you know, my, my, I have no food that no man can give. And they're like, did he already eat? Did he go to KFC? What happened? And, and it's like, no, 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 no. My food is to do the will of the Father who sent me. And there was constant moments where Jesus would say something, and they would be like, I don't get it. Well, what he's saying now is that the Spirit will come and give you clarity to all the things that I have said before. And now all these things will make sense. And as they, as, they, as they begin to recount all of these teaching moments with Jesus, the Spirit cuts the lights on for them. Does that make sense? As they find themselves in difficulties, as they find themselves in, in tough moments, the Spirit will bring the words of Jesus back to their remembrance to encourage them and strengthen them. That's what he's referring to. But not only that, he... he well, rather, I've already said that. He brings clarity. He brings remembrance. But 1 John chapter 2 says this. He says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Talking about people that were in the, that were in the church but left, left the church and followed false doctrine. But then he says this. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One. The Spirit of God is now upon you. 
and you all have knowledge. I write to you because I do not because you I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no liars of the truth. So this is what John says. John says you have the spirit of God in you to teach you, to train you, to show you what's right, to show you what's wrong, to bring clarity to the scriptures that you're reading, to help you in this faith walk. But not only does he bring clarity and remembrance to the gospel, the clarity to the gospel that we hear, the the, the remembrance to the gospel that we've learned, but he also brings power to the gospel that we preach. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, don't go anywhere, guys, until the Spirit comes. Because when the Spirit comes, you you shall receive power to be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So the Spirit gives us the power to preach God's gospel. So when it it comes to matters of truth, the Spirit of truth encourages us, strengthens us, brings clarity, brings remembrance, brings power. In other words, brings everything we need to do the works that God has called us to do. Amen? While we're here on this earth. Now, verse 18, he says this. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while in the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live and you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and, he will, and we will come to him and make our home with him. So the promise of the Spirit is the promise of another helper, which, by the way, which, by the way, I forgot to share this, but I will now. Isn't it interesting that Jesus himself and the Spirit himself both are referred to as helpers? You know, oftentimes when we talk about the distinctions of male and female, we look at the word in Genesis and we see where God calls the female a helpmate, a helper. And two things happen. One, men look down on women because they're referred to that. And two, women look down on themselves because they're referred to that. But isn't it interesting that your Lord and Savior, both the Son and the Spirit, are referred to as helpers? I think we need to rethink the dignity of our women, our sisters, as we think about what helper actually means. It certainly, it certainly is not something that we should swipe dignity from because Jesus himself refers to himself as that, and he refers to the Spirit as that. So it's something for us to navigate as we think about what the, the value of our sisters in the life of the church and in the life of, in the life of our homes. Amen? Amen? They are equal worth, equal value, equal dignity, and that their function is a high function, a function that should be honored. You tracking with that? But nevertheless, moving away from the helping function to the promise of the Holy Spirit is is a promise fulfilled ultimately in the resurrection. So so he begins to talk about, because, of course, the question becomes, okay, Jesus, we get it. The Spirit's going to come. But what's going to happen to you? Because you you said you're leaving. And I understand the Spirit's coming. But what's going to happen to you? And so Jesus begins to give them clarity as to what's happening with him. Verse 18, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. You say, well, how does that happen? 
that happens through the resurrection. He's going to come back in the resurrection. He says, yet a little while the world will see me no more, but you will see me, and because I live, you also will live. That is talking about the resurrection. And so he is saying, I'm not leaving you in a sense of being gone for good. That when I go to that cross, and when I take on the punishment of men and take on the wrath of God in its entirety, and I go to that grave, I will be down for three days. But I'm coming back. I'm not leaving you by yourselves as orphans. That even, I'm leaving, even though I'm leaving the spirit behind, I too am coming back. Does that make sense? So, so here's the thing. The resurrection ensures that we aren't left as orphans. Because let me share something with you. If the resurrection doesn't happen, really no, really no guarantees that this spirit, spirit stuff he's talking about is going to actually happen. Are you tracking with that? The resurrection ensures that not only is the spirit coming as he says it would, or as he said it would, but he's coming. And he's not leaving us alone. But the resurrection not only proves that he's not leaving us alone, the resurrection proves that we do really have eternal life. He says, as I have life, you have life. Does that make sense? So when we see Jesus, when we see the stone rolled away, and we see the empty tomb, and we see, we see him walking out with the nail-scarred hands and the nail-scarred feet, we know that we are alive. We know that no matter what happens in this life, we will have life. That's what he tells you is that, that if I'm alive, you're alive. You have no reason to grow discouraged. You have no reason to question whether or not this is real because it is rooted in the historical Christ. It is rooted in a Christ that 12 men literally died preaching to make known or, or striving to make known through their preaching. 12 men that would have never, never conspired to share a lie. These 12 men were scared. To, they were scared when he was alive to talk about him. They scattered while he was alive. So the only, the only thing that we, can, that we can surmise as to what happened is the resurrection. Because now all of a sudden the same 12 that were scattering while he was alive are now literally going, to the, or going and being fed to the beast or going and being slain and going and being slaughtered to make him known. What happened to those men? They saw him and they realized that as he lives, now we live. They saw him. And so you have every bit, every, you can take every bit of confidence in knowing that your life is secure if it is secure in Jesus. The resurrection proves that he really is equal with the Father. In verse 20 and 21 it says, in that day you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. In that day. What day? When he resurrects. He resurrects everything he's been saying, and he's been talking about it. We've been talking about it throughout the, uh, throughout the Gospel of John. He keeps talking about I and the Father are one, right? I only do what the Father has sent, or, or only do what the Father sent me to do, right? If you see the Father, then you see me. He keeps going back. He keeps saying it over and over and over again. And then he says, in that day, when I come back from the grave, you will know that everything I said about me and my Father's relationship is genuine. That is real. Remember, Thomas is wrestling with this. Or, 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 I'm sorry, Philip is wrestling with this. Philip is saying, hey, 
Jesus, show us the Father and that'll be enough for us, right? Thomas is saying, hey, I'll believe it when he comes back. I'll believe it when I see it. When I see his nail-scarred hands and his feet, I'll believe it. Jesus is saying, when it happens and when you see me, then you will know that everything I told you about my relationship with the Father is true. The resurrection proves that he really is equal with the Father in heaven. But also the the resurrection proves that he can and does give the Spirit. Verse 23, Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He is talking about the dwelling, the indwelling of the Spirit. The Bible calls us, uh, our bodies, the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. So the Father and the Son get together, and they send their very presence to indwell us. Jesus says, the resurrection ensures that that's possible. If I rise from the grave, then that leaves no doubt about what I said concerning my spirit. In closing this, he talks about in verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. He isn't leaving us in trouble. The purpose of this chapter was to encourage his disciples as he was departing, to let them know, listen, I'm leaving, but I'm not leaving you troubled. I'm not leaving you in trouble. Because I'm leaving you with the promise of heaven to hold on to, And because I'm leaving you with the promised Holy Spirit to strengthen you and encourage you, I'm not leaving you with trouble. I'm leaving you with peace. I'm leaving you in and with peace. Yes, the winds and the waves, they batter against the house, right? It looks fierce sometimes. But Jesus has given you everything that you need to have peace. And when he says peace, notice that he says it's not peace that the world gives. You have to understand that sometimes, sometimes, peace, sometimes peace is tested, right? Doesn't, doesn't mean it's always going to feel good. But there is a deep resolution at the end of the day that transcends all of the, all of the, 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 the turmoil that lets you know, yes, this is tough right now, but it's going to be all right. He gives a peace that the world cannot offer because that the world cannot offer because his peace extends beyond this life. The only thing that the world can offer in terms of peace is temporary solutions for this life. The world can the world can promise you money. Money can't do anything. You can't take it. You can't take money with you anywhere. The world can promise you entertainment. You can't take these TVs. You can't take Netflix with you. Nothing that Netflix is going to do for you in heaven or in the, or in the next life. The world can promise you substance, abuse. To pour your sorrows out in, a, in an empty bottle. When, when that bottle's empty, the sorrows are still there. Or to pour your sorrows out at, at, the, in, at, at the bottom of an empty prescription or at the, at the bottom of an empty prescription bottle. But at the end of that, your sorrows are still there. 
what he is offering you extends beyond this life. What he is offering you extends all the way into the eternal. Will you receive it? Will you embrace it? It is sure. It is firm. It is steadfast. Will you grab it? Latch on to it? The Lord offers us a peace through heaven. The Lord offers us a peace through his spirit. And we find that by trusting him with our lives, turning to him in faith and repentance, embracing his way and rejecting our own. Verse 30 says, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Listen to what Jesus says as he closes this. He says, listen, I don't have much more to say to you, I mean, we're in our final hours, and, and Judas, not, you know, Judas Iscariot has already gone along his way to betray me. People will be coming to arrest me and to take me before the authorities. And they'll build some trumped-up case against me as to why I should face execution. And I will take my wooden, wooden tool of torment up to a hill on Calvary and be slain. I don't have much time to talk to you. The words that I share with you are important because my time is drawing near. But notice what he says. He says, the ruler of the world of this world is coming. Satan is coming. He's already entered into one of our own. He is coming. But he has no claim on me. Here, here's what's so amazing about Christ and, and when he says this. He says, yeah, he's coming and he's going to, you know, all this craziness that's about to happen is about to happen. But the reality is, is that all of it is happening on my cue. There is nothing that he is doing to exert power over me. He has no claim on me. The cross is part of the plan. Because the cross is the sacrifice for you. Satan thinks he's doing something. He's just advancing my plan. He has no claim on me. The only thing that I am doing is the things that the Father has sent me to do. For God so loved the world that he sent the Son to die. And the only thing I'm doing is what the Father asked me to do. And so you can take courage knowing that when this happens, and it seems like everything is, is going down the toilet, you can take courage in knowing that I told you it was going to happen. And so if I told you all this was going to happen, then that means that everything else that I told you, including the promises of heaven and including the promises of the Spirit, are true. And you can bank on them. And we can bank on them. Amen? Let's go before the Lord in prayer. God, we are so thankful and grateful for the privilege that we have to trust in your promises. Father, this world can 
can breed troubled hearts, Lord. It can cause us to, to sometimes doubt the reality of, of your presence, your existence. It can sometimes cause us to doubt your love. Even if we trust in your existence, sometimes we doubt your love. And sometimes we doubt that you are, in fact, concerned about us. But we thank you for the promises that are highlighted in Scripture, Lord God. And we pray that you would just cause us to continue to go back to them. To continue to go back and have our hearts edified and strengthened when times get tough to know, Lord God, that you are preparing a place to continue to drive us back, Lord God, to the reality that you have given us, your Holy Spirit, to strengthen us, encourage us, build us up, edify us until, Lord God, we come to you or you return to take us home. Father, continue to make yourself known through your spirit. Continue to point us, Lord God, to the hope that is in your gospel. These things we ask and we pray in your son Christ's name. Amen. This message was brought to you by the family and friends of City Light Church. For church worship times, directions, support opportunities, or other ministry information, please visit www.citylightvicksburg.org.